0: This episode contains spoilers. Please listen responsibly. Hello everyone, my name is Jason Ramirez and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Hitlist Podcast. A podcast where me and a guest cross up films from our watch list by watching them. I am joined today by Los Angeles-based editor Noah Diamond. Noah has edited for Dimension 20, a Dungeons and Dragons show on college humor. He's also a cast member on Danger Town, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. He is currently assistant editing for Ultra City Smith for Stupid Buddy Studios. Welcome Noah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, can you tell us a little bit more about this fencing you enjoy? I saw on your website. Oh, that
1: that was, that was something I did in college. I haven't I haven't touched it in in a while because it's uh, an extremely expensive hobby, unfortunately. Um and with, without access to college college priced uh, s- academies, it's it's
0: uh, pretty prohibitive to to participate in. Like back in like school, like let's say elementary school, I always wanted to become like a swashbuckler, kind of like Robin oh, yeah. Hood. Then
1: yeah. you want you, you want you want to you want to pick up saber fencing. Uh, I, d- I did archery for a little bit. It didn't because I was trying to scratch that that fencing itch, but it didn't really uh, didn't really hit the same sweet spot for me. I, know, I have a lot of friends who are really into archery, but just like. You know, fencing is is an interactive activity with someone else, whereas archery is about refining uh,
0: just your your own form and procedure and whatnot. I see, I yeah. see. Well, you would know more about it than I do because I've never like done archery or fencing. I've done like um, I did kali sanawali, which is like Filipino stick fighting. Gotcha. And yeah. It can like kind of. Translate into like sword fighting if you want to, but we mostly just thought, um, fought with sticks, you know, before coming. I mean, virus. I mean,
1: check out your local community colleges, see if they any of them have fencing classes. It's uh, probably have equipment and stuff too, you know. I, I had my own, I got to the point where I had my own gear, you know, I was invested that much, but uh, you know, like if I remember, like, like some academies out there, like, you know, $50 a month, and that's a pretty that's like an affordable fencing yeah. academy to like go to, and then also like in college, everyone's there to like have fun. You know, it's all mm-hmm. it's whereas whereas if you're starting to pay to go to an academy, you're, you're getting the people who are like a really competitive level. And I was never really at that level. I was just there to spar and have a good time. So so it also was like a
0: little bit like oh,
1: the groups aren't, aren't as much of a fit
0: in, out in the real world. <laughs> yeah, I can I can get that. So. Before we get started and discussing what movies we're going to talk about today, can you tell tell me a little bit about your streaming viewing habits? Like, whenever you sit down to watch a movie, do you choose something new or do you stick to your favorites?
1: Uh, I mean, I definitely, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big rewatcher for sure. Um, Right. Probably, maybe a little bit less with movies than I am with TV. But I mean, for for me, you know, I've, I've got some, I've got ADHD that manifests pretty bad when watching media, when consuming media, rather. You know, I check my phone on like loading screens and video games and stuff, uh, and so and so I'm bad about watching movies at home, in general, uh, because it's really like, I need that like theater environment to like force myself to give 100 percent of my focus to a movie. So I don't tend to watch as much new movies as home. I'll, I, I so when I watch a movie at home, I will throw something on, but if I'm throwing something on, it's usually going to be a TV show. So sometimes you know if if it's a movie, chances are it's something I'm going to try and put that effort in to focus on. If that makes if that makes sense, but I I honestly don't consume a ton of movies at home, uh, which means I haven't consumed
0: a ton of movies in the last year, which is unfortunate. You're kind of like the opposite of what's his name Andy, who was my previous guest. You know Andy Young. Yeah, yeah, good friend. He said, I think he said like 500 movies yeah. in last year. And
1: Andy <laughs> is hardcore when it when it comes to that stuff for sure. Uh, I mean, I I got I I got a good Andy. number of movies in in 2019. I also I also did, did you know a few film festivals in 2019, so that really helped. You know, I did. I did Sundance and and got a, an absolute ridiculous number of movies in for the span of days. But yeah, at home, you know, I, like, I'll, I'll just rewatch a sitcom instead.
0: I have a question because the only film festival I've been to was my college's film festival, mm-hmm. which I was wrongly, my film was wrongly not included in there. This is my personal opinion and opinion of my friends, but you know, that's whatever. I, it still got yeah. into like an international film festival, but how does one attend a film festival? Like, if you get to a film festival, do you just go there and watch movies? Because I hear people like network there, but how do you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can get. They have like events. They have like passes with with like get you into stuff. But like when I went to Sundance, I, I just bought tickets to individual movies uh, as I went. You know, and I, I grabbed some slam dance stuff. You know, I, I didn't do a pass or anything like that. Sundance is nice. They they have a a really good uh, app for like queuing up. For like wait for like waitlisting for movies if you don't get the tickets in advance, right? Where 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 you you know it opens a certain window and you sit there and you wait for the clock to, and you hit go and then it tells you your place in line and then and, you know it's like two hours before the movie starts and then so you and then you can show up a you know certain amount of time and and you get in line based on the number you got from the app so you don't have to like stand in line for a really long time and then you can kind of see as people drop out and kind of figure out your odds of actually getting in. You know, but before it starts, so it's it's really easy. So I I did I really like that because I was able to kind of really play things by ear. Or someone else was like, oh, I'm going to this movie, I'm like cool. I'll wait list that and try and get in. And you can group with people when you do it too. So mm. it'll give you like, you all can try and join, and it'll give you spots in the wait list uh, adjacent to each other and stuff. So like, I, I got a few tickets in advance. And I bought a lot of tickets off of people who couldn't make it to movies and stuff who were like in my in, you know my friend group and stuff. Uh, and that and that was basically basically it. You know, I, I didn't. Yeah, there's the, this panels and stuff like that that you need the passes to go to, and I didn't didn't do any of those. Yeah, but yeah, it was just a lot of
0: you know a lot of fun, really cool. So it's basically like San Diego Comic Con,
1: kind of. Yeah, yeah, kind of like Comic Con. Yeah, the uh, lines are a lot better than Comic Con for <laughs> sure.
0: So the two films we'll be discussing today are With no and I, directed by Bruce Robinson, and Dog Day Afternoon, directed by Sidney Lumet. So, "Whiff No Nine" is a 1987 British black comedy film written and directed by Bruce Robinson. It's loosely based on Robinson's life in London in the late 1960s. The plot follows two unemployed actors, Whiff and I, portrayed by Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann respectively, who share a flat in Camden Town in 1969. Needing a holiday or vacation for American audiences, they tamed the key to a country cottage in the Lake District belonging to Whiff eccentric uncle Monty and drive there. The weekend holiday proves less recuperative than they expected so With and I was on Noah's list Noah why was this film on your list this movie was was recommended to me by by
1: a good friend uh because I'm a fan of Paul McGann, particularly Paul McGann's work on on Doctor Who uh, and he was like, oh if you like Paul McGann you, you gotta check out with Nail and I and I like Richard D grant too I'm a, I'm a fan of his he also was in Doctor Who funny enough and so you know and 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 definitely you know looked interesting enough and it just kind of has been on the back burner of my, my watch list for a few years of just a, a piece of passing interest, I suppose. Uh, and, and so when you, when you mentioned, I was, I was trying to think about oh, what's a movie I've been meaning to watch, and, and for whatever reason, something reminded me of it. And I was like, oh, cool, yeah, with I that's
0: that's one we could do. I just realized that Paul McGann was the eighth Doctor, like mm-hmm, when he just said it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's why he looked and sounded familiar. I'm like, oh. Yeah, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a
1: big fan of his, his his audio drama work with Big Finish. Uh, which if if you haven't checked out, like like you know, he, his his on-screen work as the Eighth Doctor is incredibly limited. You know, he just did the the nineteen ninety-six TV movie that was the failed uh reboot of Doctor Who. Uh and then he had like a, a little five-minute episode before the 50th anniversary special in, in 2013. But in between that he has become the most prolific performer for Big Finish who does Doctor Who audio dramas and has been doing this since the late nineties, and he's I think done more than any other actor. You know, they've, they've got basically every one has done it at this point. Every living Doctor Who actor has, or has done it at this point. Uh, and he just has gained a huge following. He, and it's a real shame he didn't have more time on the show proper because he's absolutely my favorite Doctor and he's just really fantastic in the role.
0: I, I want to check out more audio dramas because this past summer I was listening to a Stephen King audio drama which was for, what was it called? Salem's Lot. Yeah, it mm. was I think it was from the BBC radio station, and yeah. I've never been scared of, like, an audio drama before. Like, I was really scared <laughs> throughout the whole thing. I was like, ooh, what's going to happen next? Because I've never seen or read Salem's Lot, but, like, hearing the audio drama, like, felt like I was there, and mm-hmm. I was scared for the people.
1: Yeah, uh, audio traumatizations uh can, can be really good. I did, uh, the BBC did a, a good one of uh, Good Omens a while ago ah. that I listened to. Uh, I had read the book years and years and years ago. Uh, and I listened to it ahead of the show coming out. It's uh, Peter Serfanovich as uh, as Crowley and he does a really good job in, in the role, you know, that those sonorous tones, right? Alan Rickman performance of the character.
0: Uh, yeah, they can they can really be uh, a really great format for storytelling. So I want to ask you real quick, I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts first. What were your initial thoughts of Whip No Nye like as a whole? Uh like like initial uh, after finishing it or initializing yeah. like when starting it.
1: Oh, I'm being so I'm being so pedantic.
0: Let's hear both. Like when you started watching it, what were your thoughts? And after you finished it, what were your thoughts?
1: I mean, I kind of I was prepared going in for it to be kind of a movie, a movie about nothing. Um, you know, being being kind of a uh, one of those road trip movies. I think I, I, when I was doing reading on it, something compared to like uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I think is is an apt comparison. Funny enough, go, like at the, at the beginning, I wondered if if it was a a gay movie because like I was like, oh, are they are they is there something between them? Like, they're, they're living together. Like, he calls him lover, but I think it's, it's like, ironic uh, early on. Right. Uh, and then, of, of course, I mean, I, I can't – Like, there's a lot I liked about the movie. It definitely drags a lot. It's not a movie for everyone. It's very dry. And, like, as, you know, like, as, as I read, like, like one of the criticisms of the script was, like, it has no jokes. And it really, like, right. it, it's, it's very much – It's it's humor through charisma more than humor right. through, through comedy. And right. only humor through absurdity. And I, it would definitely – be a terrible read i feel like the screenplay would, would read really badly because it's, it's richard e grant and, and palm again bring all the all the spark to it but with everything i just i, I walk away from the movie and just the they, the plot line with 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 monty oh. uh, is just really hard it like and it really sours the kind of everything about the movie for me right and and like and I, I've been thinking about like like it's just it's you know for, the, for those who don't know it's it's basically you know Monty who, who's played by oh uh, I can't remember that he's Vernon Dursley from from Harry Potter he he, he plays uh, with Nell's uncle who who lives in the house and he comes and joins them and he's very he, they set up early on that he's weird because he's gay and he's very preoccupied with Paul McGann's character uh, and and basically repeatedly tries to force himself upon him and it's just it's as a queer man made me very uncomfortable as this kind of gay, panicky plot that they did. And it takes up a good chunk of the movie. It feels like it's like third of the movie is just about how how Richard Griffiths like really wants to fuck Paul McGann, which I mean, I don't blame him, <laughs> but how how Paul McGann really doesn't want it and he and he won't let up. And and I mean I do need to preface it, like like this movie is semi-autobiographical. It's 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 called from it's it's not specific events from the writer director's life, but it is inspired by his own life and that that plot line is inspired by unwanted advancements he received from a director in when in something he was acting in when he was young so so obviously like like i don't i don't I don't want to fully like discount the director's experience, you know, that he's representing, but at the same time, the you know, and the context is so dramatically different, and the execution is so dramatically different from what I can tell of, of the the story that it comes from, and it's played so much for comedy, and the way the way it's presented, I I, I do feel like it's you know, while, while there might have been a place for him to to talk about those experiences he had as a, as a victim of of sexual harassment, I don't I don't think the way it was done is it, was it all appropriate I I have a hard time saying mm-hmm. that his retelling of his experiences are are inappropriate but or at least I did not like what, what how that was being done and it, and oh, and God. it's I feel like it kind of overshadows the rest of the movie for me a, a lot.
0: It, what, how did you think of, like, overall, like, after finishing it? I mean, like,
1: there's a lot of moments I really like, you know, I I, I hate saying this because it's his first movie, but, you know, like, it's I, one of the best Richard D. Grant performances I feel like I've ever seen. <laughs> which, which I I do whenever I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, David Fincher's best movie is seven. I'm like, well, geez, that's, that feels mean. He, this is his first movie. He's right out the gate, you know. Uh, but, But I I did really love Richard E. Grant's performance uh, in in this movie. It's funny, I mentioned at the beginning that that I thought they were gay. I'm like, man, this movie, you know, which obviously, once again, it's autobiographical. But, man, this movie would have been so much stronger if they were gay in, like, a queer platonic relationship. Not necessarily lovers, (laughs) but just, like, this weird, dysfunctional, queer platonic pairing. I'd like, oh, man, it would would have been such a stronger movie. Uh, But it would have conformed, obviously, less to, to
0: reality. But, you know... The movie already hews from reality a lot, from what I can tell. Yeah. So, I think you liked it a lot more than I did. I don't think I can pull up my letterbox review. (laughs) Actually, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. I think I have it here somewhere. I actually was not a fan of this movie, and partly because of, like, the lecherous gay man subplot right there. Yeah, it's... But here's, here's my review. I wrote it on February 24th, 2021, after watching this movie. I said, the only part of the film I liked was the ending. This is the type of movie that will be on PBS right after 4pm when it was filled with British TV shows and movies. And you realize that the world is not centered on your childhood entertainment since your parents can't afford cable. The class has then started early for us. Early! It's like when you get lunch from the school cafeteria and learn that you're no longer qualified for free lunch, so they take the food away from you and let you starve for the day because they'd rather let an 8-year-old starve over a $3 school lunch debt. But yeah, this movie is like that part of PBS. I regret watching this movie because it reminded me of that old hellish fear of mine when I was a child, becoming an adult and watching independent movies with no meaning.
1: Yeah. That's fair.
0: <laughs> Honestly, as soon as bring up PBS, I feel like
1: I'd like this show better as a TV show. Feel like 22 minute bites of these two characters i would just just going on misanthropic misadventures i would have would have been really great oh god i mean talking about you're talking about growing up there, there's i think there's a lot i think it was this movie that where, where like richard d grant is like bemoaned that he's like 29 and a half or he's turning 30 in a few months or something like that was that was that in this movie or am i misremembering from, from i i think else?
0: I think it might have been in this movie.
1: Yeah, and like I'm turning thirty one in a few months and I was just like, like I just <laughs> shriveled up. But it it's also felt really weird for me from Richard E. Grant because he just doesn't feel like a young man at all. And I just like shriveled up a bit on that line. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just you have to like it's for me th- and and I didn't I didn't expect to be defending the movie as much as I am because like I said, like I just I don't think I'll ever revisit it and I don't think I'll ever be able to discuss it without really fixating on how uncomfortable I was oh yeah during that that plot. But for the stuff I liked, it was really just about enjoying aspects of Richard E. Grant and, and uh, Paul McGann's performances, I think is where is, the pleasure in this movie comes from is, is they're just very fun actors and they work really nicely together. Which is why in a 22-minute TV show, I guess it wouldn't be 22 minutes if it was PBS or BBC because of advertising, but
0: would be a really great
1: format for it
0: yeah definitely thinking like if it's like a, a limited series for bbc which is like they're famous for that like a six episode format i think it would have been perfect for this film because it just didn't feel like a movie and there's even stories about the production where what's his name dennis o'brien who oversaw the filming on behalf of handmade films which is like the studio behind it
1: and that, that's george harrison's studio right
0: i i think so but yeah george harrison also produced the film like he also funded it but dennis o'brien He nearly shut the film down on the first day of production because he thought that, like you said, there weren't any discernment jokes and it was badly lit. Yeah, it just feels like a very long episode of a TV show that doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. But, like, I do agree with you right there. Paul McGann and Richard E. Grant, they're great performers in this film. Like, you can tell that they really are great actors. And another thing that I like about this movie is that it has like the basic basic camera movements that you learn in film school, but like not obnoxious. If you know what uh, I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good, good foundational. Yeah, like gosh, just like, like every time, like when the the bull shows up and he scrambles over the <laughs> wall and he's like yelling, just just run at it. Just, like that's that's a really that that scene, which I didn't even really think about as being a scene. I really like like the tea room scene really stands out. Like that's one of the most famous scenes in the movie. But like that bull scene is like such a great scene of of their dynamics i really i really think everything positive i'm saying is just really being carried about how much i really like paul mcgann and richard e grant uh, and, that, and that's yeah. i think that's how this became such a cult movie and it like it, this this movie launched both of their careers which i actually was going to mention like like one of the things i read is that that paul mcgann auditioned for the role and got turned down for it and convinced them to let him re-audition with it because they didn't like his accent i think was what it was
0: yeah that's the one
1: yeah and and so he like worked on it did it did some accent work and came back which I just think of, like, like going back to his Doctor Who stuff. You, you can look up on YouTube his audition for Doctor Who. Like a two-minute clip. But, but I love it. And this is really, I'm just using that as a bridge to tell the story that I love. Is when you <laughs> watch his audition for Doctor Who, you can see the moment that he gets the character. Like, he's doing Ooh. it. He's doing the line readings, He's got something, you know, but he's, he's kind of very much he's delivering lines and then the director director the the casting director behind you know behind the camera gives him a, a note about about his performance and then all of a sudden he is the doctor all of a sudden he the, the his entire character just snaps into place uh and it's a really it's kind of like a really cool piece of of magic to see to see happen of uh, just like that's the moment that he
0: gets it uh, it's very cool i love seeing those audition videos you know on youtube the most popular ones i know the of are the like ET. the office ones
1: Oh, other the there's, there's the the famous one for for the kid from E. T. Oh yeah, that one and, too. And, and they're like, you, "You got it, kid," or something at
0: the end. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good one too. But I keep thinking like there are, like other people who auditioned for roles of The Office who didn't eventually get it. Yeah,
1: like Seth Rogen's in there, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> if you think about it, it wouldn't be the same character of Dwight if Seth Rogen got it. Yeah. I do want to mention, like, too, um I'm a huge Beatles fan. I used to play a lot of Beatles songs back in high school on my guitar because I was that kid with the guitar, you know? I was that mm-hmm. kid. Did you play Wonderwall? Uh, no, I, I did not debase myself with Wonderwall. <laughs> but I did play a lot of songs very terribly. But <laughs> While My Guitar Gently Weeps was one of my favorite songs when I was 14, 15. Oh, that must and be a hard one it was a very hard at one at least the solo it was a very hard one and i played on a classical guitar so i couldn't get like the electric riffs but in the film the song plays and hearing that i was like oh this song right here okay they got this song right here, right? They it's it's right. tough
1: to license Beatles songs too. I mean, obviously having yeah. two two Beatles as producers helps a lot. Yeah, the, there's nah. the scene where they play all along the watchtower, the Jimi Hendrix one, and like that song goes. They they hang on that song for like it goes like across like three scenes, I think.
0: <laughs> like they just just let it roll. Just yesterday, I tried to watch the Tom and Jerry movie. Oh I, yeah. Within two minutes, I was out because there's this formula that studios follow, which i'm not a big fan of but i guess it makes them money where they'll have current songs or like hit music in the films to like draw the audience in or like the right. an audience and i forgot the name of the song but it was like a early 2000s uh hip-hop song and then like there are pigeons animated pigeons who are flying throughout real life new york and then the pigeons start lip-syncing to the music and that's when i was like nope i am not watching this but yeah, music plays a huge part in movies, and I think like this film did a great job of, like incorporating that. Like it, it had the fit, you know. Yeah,
1: I mean, and you can definitely see a lot of influence it had. You know, as a big cult movie, like the character of the drug dealer. I was like, oh, I've seen this character so many times. <laughs> like, people met the characters with some lifted straight from this movie. you know into other stuff that like really laconic you know drug dealer character like i was like oh yeah i I know this i feel like i know this guy already from his first line
0: yeah so i i do want to mention like this movie it's routinely regarded as being among the finest british movies ever made which you kind of feel sorry for them if that's one of the finest ones. But its influence has been cited by several filmmakers. So Shane Black's The Nice Guys is, like, partly influenced by this movie. Oh, I can see that. As well as David Gordon Green's Pineapple Express, which I can very much see that part. And Mark Duplass's Jeff, who lives at home. Mm. I mean, I,
1: I can definitely see how this movie, like, could be very very impactful on on someone, you know. I think there was an interview with with, with the director, he was talking about how, like, he always gets people coming up to him and complimenting him on on the movie, and it's all and they're like, <laughs> "Oh, I'm with Nell," you know, and I, I, it's always like they get younger and younger. I guess like, it's, like it's, it's a movie that people keep finding in like college and stuff, or or he's getting like like it's. You know, so now you've got he's, he's you know, twenty years later, and it's people who are saying that to him. You know, who, who weren't around when the movie was made, and and I think yeah, it's definitely like a, a movie that I could definitely I can, and that that's what makes it a cult movie is is if you find it at the right time, you know, they've never seen anything like that before. Right. I can see it really you know having that impact on you,
0: and and I can definitely see you know wanting to pull style and stuff from it, and, and yeah. So there's two pieces of trivia about the production this movie that I found kind of. What the hell? If that if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So Richard Grant he plays like a raging alcoholic in the movie, you know, with no yeah. But Grant is a taller so someone who abstains from like alcohol. Yeah, he's a- allergic allergic to alcohol and had never been drunk before. Yeah, yeah, he he never been drunk prior to making the movie, and then. Robinson, the director and writer of the film, he decided it would be impossible for him to play a character who pl- to play the character of Liffnell without ever experiencing being drunk and being hungover. So he quote unquote forced the actor on a big drinking binge and Grant said that he was very sick after each drink and found the experience deeply unpleasant, which I can relate because I don't like to drink. Yeah. And the first time I got drunk, I was like, oh, this feels good. And the next day, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I mean, look, I, I in high school, I was in a production of
1: Anything Goes where I played the drunk Eli Whitney and had never been drunk. And I got rave reviews. From- for my performance of people who thought I was drunk on stage so <laughs> I'm gonna have to disagree
0: that you can't I was a convincing drunk high schooler is my point see that's the thing that like I really don't like about directors I, I think it's a less of a practice now I forgot what his name was or who was involved but there is this movie and in the production called for like this character to be like sleep deprived and so the actor didn't sleep for two or three days and then another actor in the film saw him you, and you, said you're, hey
1: you're 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 talking about the story with with Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that 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 story is kind of mis misrepresented. I it it's the my my dear boy. Why don't you try acting? Yeah. <laughs> for for, for uh, I won't say Marathon Man. Go watch Justin Hoffman's telling of it on. uh Oh shit! What is it? Was it Inside the Actors Studio? I want to. It's a weird story, and like like it, it's there's a bunch of other stuff. Like he was partying a lot, and like he was getting divorced and stuff like that, uh. and was dealing with that. It, it's a. It's a weird story. But the 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 anecdotal version that goes around of of my dear boy, why don't you try asking acting is a very is a very good anecdote, yeah.
0: Yeah. Just try acting, man. Yeah. <laughs> And also with the lighter fluid, when Whipno drinks a oh, can God of lighter fluid, uh, Robinson changed the contents of the can between takes from water to vinegar to get a better reaction from Grant.
1: It's funny. I, I don't especially remember Grant's reaction. Me neither. Like, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like he spits it out and, like, it, it, it's not like it seems like he drinks it and goes, oh, wait, this is disgusting, and spits it out. I Like, I don't remember him having, like, an especially big or notable
0: reaction to drinking the lighter fluid. So, like, he kind of wasted some vinegar right there. Well. Yeah. Could use it for salad. But so, do you think you should have seen this movie sooner?
1: Uh, I suppose. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, probably if I was younger, it would have had more of an impact on me. But also, if I was younger, I, I probably would have... Well, I mean, I would have liked it more because I probably would have been less uncomfortable with the stuff we've discussed as well. Right. Which I, I... Not necessarily, I think, overall, not necessarily a good thing, but it would have made the movie more enjoyable if I was blind enough to, to not care about that kind of stuff.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, and then we're also going to talk about Dog Day Afternoon, which is the movie that Jason picked. Uh, it's a 1975 uh, biographical crime drama directed by Sidney Lumet, uh, produced by Martin Bregman and Martin Elfland. Uh, it famously stars Al Pacino, John Cazali, James Broderick, and Charles Durning. Written by Frank Pearson and is based on the Life magazine article Boys in the Bank by P.F. Klug and Thomas Moore, which chronicled a 1972 robbery and hostage situation uh, led by John Wojtowicz and Salvatore Naturli, Naturil I'm, not, I'm I'm sorry everyone, uh, at a, a Chase Manhattan branch in Brooklyn, uh, which, so yeah, I, I didn't know actually know much about this movie going in. I think I, I thought, it, I mean, I like right before I went in, I knew it was a bank robbery, but like uh, leading up to that. I think I thought it was a cop movie. I may have just been mixing it up with Serpico, though. Yeah. Which is, you know, a, a similar period Al Pacino movie.
0: Yeah, so the reason why it was on my list is because I, I've i been hearing about it for, like, the longest time. and have been... I think I was reading a book. I think it's um how to shoot video that doesn't suck. And at the end of the book, the author lists recommendations to watch to become like a better editor or better filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I think Dog Day Afternoon was one of them. And it's also been mentioned like a lot of editing tutorials I take online like with LinkedIn Learning, so
1: I mean Dee Dee Allen is, you know, uh, a pretty legendary editor, so you can't you can't go wrong with. Uh, and she and she got an Oscar
0: nomination for it too. That's great cuz she did an amazing job right there. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Uh, And and, and speaking of Oscars, this movie famous, John John Cazali, famous, famous Oscar trivia, I suppose. John Cazali was in five movies in his acting career, and every single one of them got nominated for Best Picture. Wow. I didn't know that. It's it's Dog Day Afternoon, The Godfather Part 1, The Godfather Part 2, Deer Hunter, and... Oh, what was the other one? Oh, and The Conversation.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. My yeah. initial thoughts about this movie, like when I first started watching, it, I'm like, oh, it feels like a 1970s movie because it it did take place in the 1970s and it was filmed in the 70s too, filmed and set. Yeah, and I didn't think I would like it as much as I did. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I just I, I love I I one thing I really wonder. I want to know if there if if there were drafts before. How many of them before they got to the point of just opening with the bank robbery? I want to know if there were earlier drafts of, the, of this movie. That have like the whole first act leading up to the bank robbery because I can I can totally see a world where the, and they kept reworking it like oh the movie's too long oh it's, it's you know and, and trying to figure out like what and then and suddenly someone goes hey what if we just lop that entire first act off and we just open with the bank robbery I can right. I can see that I, I I've seen the process enough times that I can imagine that have happened I'm not saying it did but it it would make sense to me because. You know, you kind, of, you kind of started writing out the whole story and then you refine it and I could see that. And maybe it was in the – maybe it was in outlining. Maybe it was in the first draft. Maybe, you know, maybe they got really far and couldn't figure it out and that was where the magic came in. I don't know. But I can I can imagine that being the case.
0: Yeah, because like uh, with most robbery movies, they kind of plan it out beforehand. Like yeah. When they show it and then they do actual – the robbery is like usually in the second act. You know, this is like from the beginning. They start out with the bank robbery. And it's a
1: great choice. Yeah. But regardless of when they came up with it, it's a great choice.
0: I will say, like some trivia that I found out when I was doing research on this was when they were trying to get the rights for the for the film, they interviewed each of the hostage or like people involved with it, and they offered each hostage six hundred dollars for the rights to the story. And one of the hostages she demanded more money, so they didn't give her any money and just cut her out, out from the script. <laughs> oh wow, that's that's petty. Yeah, but you know, a lot of great things have been have been done through pettiness.
1: Yeah, I I I do love speak, speaking of that. Like like the the real life Sonny, you know, was paid like seven thousand dollars plus like a a royalty for his 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 rights to the movie, uh, and he he did actually use that money to pay for his wife's gender confirmation surgery. Yeah, which which I really love, and and I I will say like like interesting parallels between these movies that were not planned, which is both both in some regards based on true stories and both in some regards handle queer uh plot lines in the mm-hmm. movies uh and if you would ask me going in which one i thought was going to handle them better the i would not have chosen the 1970s al pacino crime drama <laughs> over the late 80s drunk theater kids comedy <laughs> as as being the one that handled that better uh, you know i mean and dog day afternoon doesn't doesn't handle it's 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 especially the trans stuff, it's not perfect right but it's considering 1975 like it's it's not bad and you know it's, it's a lot of you know outdated terms and ideas but but for 1975 it's
0: it's understandable
1: uh, and i thought that was actually handled
0: pretty well yeah especially like someone to it's because like the recent stuff that's been happening you know with police brutality uh when yeah. the security guard was like the first one let out and the cops immediately tried to arrest him because he was black yeah i was like why did I see this coming? Yeah. Oh, because it happens all the time. Yeah,
1: it's not new. <laughs> but you no, know, yeah, like when when they when they brought
0: uh, Leon, which which uh,
1: the the real person's name is Elizabeth. It's it's I, I don't really like the idea of, of dead naming her, but we don't have a, a real name, a, right. a transition name to call the the character by. But the real life person's name was Elizabeth, and she unfortunately died during the AIDS crisis. Yeah. But when when they first brought that character in, I definitely had a panic <laughs> moment of of like I'm like oh no and and you know and she's in like the house dress and she's, you know clutching it close. I was like oh this is gonna be like a Buffalo Bill kind of like bad portrayal. But but hmm. you know the the actor did a great job. He he was also nominated for for an Oscar prince humperdinck from princess bride which was kind of a trip yeah you know d- did a good job uh and, and it, i think i think between that and and sunny's queerness and and you know uh the support he valued i think it was all very
0: well handled i was surprised to see it was chris sarandon like you said prince humperdinck who played that role he's very young in this movie i think it was like 26 when um for the production of this film and chris the actor he said he believes that part of the reason why it was so successful was because they focused on their relationship on the phone call.
1: Yeah. I was going to say that, that scene is, is one of the standards. It's a long scene too. Yeah. Like in a good way, like, like they, they really hold on it and, and, and let that scene exist. I suppose, you know, take over. Uh, and I,
0: I, I really liked it. Yeah. Cause it, it's really just like an actual, like real type of relationship talk about like, where did the relationship go wrong? And like, Sonny was not really a great boyfriend or a great partner at all. Yeah,
1: and they don't they don't stay together in in real life either. You know, she yeah. she she marries someone else. Uh, I don't know if that was before or after he paid for her surgery. I honestly almost would like to think that it was before because I think that makes that even be- a better story narratively. <laughs> if he still follows through with that with that, uh, you know, out of out of care and respect
0: for her. So I want to talk about like the hostage situation in the bank robbery because. I watched this last Sunday, so this Dog Day afternoon was one of them. And before I saw that, I saw Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Yeah, so like going from Point Break, which is about like surfers who go in and out of bank robberies within 90 seconds with a lot of money. Well, not as much money, but like still enough money Mm-mm. and then leave to go into watching this movie, which is about a former banking employee trying to rob a bank for the first time and doing everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it goes wrong like like I knew it was i like i I
1: knew it was about bank robbery that goes wrong, but it goes wrong just immediately, just right off the
0: bat. nothing at any point goes right
1: <laughs> in this bank robbery.
0: it started with three people, all right. And ended with only two both two of them alive, but one bailed almost immediately yeah. afterwards. I kept wondering if he was gonna come back or if like nope. the gun
1: like if he well, if he'd come back in in a plot way, I mean like if he was gonna oh, come okay. significant to the plot. Or if like the gun, you know, because they had this extra gun, you know, this this the, the the third gun, the pistol that Sonny shoved in his waistband. Like I was waiting for that to be like a bit of a Chekhov's gun, or literally, or for him to like return in some in some way to the plot. But I, I think that that might have just been there to adhere to to real events and maybe to help with with stakes rather than being any sort of setup or foreshadowing.
0: Yeah, because everything just went wrong. Like Sonny knew some things in in the in the screenplay. Like he knew about like you know like the what are they called marked notes? I guess you know like the ink traps, whatever.
1: Oh yeah, yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, and he knew about like the schedule, but he was wrong about the schedule.
1: Well, he got he he got wrong information from someone downtown.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he
1: got wrong and he, information. He knew he knew to get rid of the ledger, but he should have just taken the ledger with him instead of burning it. Right,
0: and burning it, and that's the thing that makes the people across the cross the street to notice something was wrong. Even the people who are working at the bank are like, "You're doing this wrong." <laughs> Like you can see it in their face, like, why are you burning it? Yeah. <laughs> or like, just take the money. Just go. Just go, man. You got the money. Just go. A thousand dollars. Which, which, how much of that did he just throw away into the crowd? Because he didn't have that. Like, it was a thousand dollars and
1: whatever was. In, they don't say how much was in the registers, but it couldn't have been probably more than another few hundred. There's no way he even got to
0: two thousand dollars. I bet. Which I guess we should we should check inflation on that. Let me see. So a thousand dollars, probably like five thousand dollars now. Let's let's look at the inflation calculator. Do you have one up right now? Yeah, I do.
1: Uh, a thousand dollars is worth about uh sixty-two hundred. Okay, so that was close. That was close. Uh, is it worth sixty hundred to do? I think I think he ended up doing five years in in prison. He got he yeah. got sentenced to twenty and and served
0: five. It's not worth it because yeah. oh man, that is not worth it. <laughs> he he should have just left immediately. But we all that's like that's kind of like the whole part that's entertaining about this movie because like should have could have woulda yeah It's like drama you know yeah and let's talk about the hostage situation. So, both the police and Sonny need to take classes or courses on communication, okay? As a communication major, I can say that they needed to... Well, you don't need to have a communication major to know that they needed to have better communication, okay? Because, like... I even took. Are you familiar with Chris Voss? Uh, I can't say that I am. He used to work for the FBI as a hostage negotiator. Okay. And he even wrote a book, and he has a master class on it. And I'd say t- I've I have the book actually right here, and I've also taken a master class, and are really great. I hope I'm never in a situa- situation where I had to like negotiate for hostages' safety, but I've I've read enough to know like you do not antagonize the man who has the hostages. Yeah. Do not yell at them. You speak to them in a warm calm slow voice
1: I mean and speaking of that I I'd, I'd be curious like I I I wonder how many of these ba- bank robbery hostage movie tropes originated with Dog Day Afternoon there's a lot mm. there's a lot in them but but I wonder how much of it is like you know them getting really friendly the all, all the dynamics and stuff with the negotiator the like cutting off the AC power like obviously a lot of that is pulled from from real life but I wonder how far back that stuff dates in in film Okay. as tropes and whether this is kind of this might have been a big inception point for those ideas of what a bank robbery and a hostage situation looks like on film
0: i also want to learn how much of this movie is used as like training for actual negotiators hostage negotiators you know yeah like not just like a training but like a small exercise of like what did they do wrong mm-hmm. and what could have, they, could have they done better well here here's something to think about
1: the the ultimate weirdness of bank robbery as a crime is is the the biggest crime that happens is the killing of of the hostages. Right. Is the threatening of you know, the threatening of the lives of the hostages. But the threatening of the lives of the hostages is just to prevent the stopping of the taking of money. And that's you know, when you look at the harm caused by that, like the banks insured, like it's such a weird situation of like if they just let them leave, that's kind of the the best case scenario for everyone involved. <laughs> and you look at all the like how much money did the police spend trying to stop them from taking two thousand dollars? <laughs> Like, like, and I mean, and and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try and go on a a whole, whole rant on, but it's like, it just shows like the the priorities of protection of property over protection of life. Because if it was really about protection of life, they wouldn't do anything because that's the best way you can protect those human lives is, which, which I get that that causes a problem of like, okay, well, if, if, if the police will never do anything to stop, it's kind of like a don't negotiate with terrorists kind of situation of like, right. Then people will just always rob, you know, then. I don't. I don't want to say people will always rob banks, but it's a deterrent of future crime. Is is the idea at play? But but I mean, I guess I guess when you look at it as a protection of property and protection of innocent life situation, like no innocent innocent people died. They killed one of the criminals and arrested the other. You know, on, on paper for the cops, they did pretty well. You know, they, they, it's not like a bunch of people died because they were trying to stop
0: them from stealing two thousand dollars. Which reminds me of like my reta- retail days. If, if oh, yeah, someone's like shoplifting, you, you you let them, you never you let them go. You let them go it's not worth the money to like retrieve the property if it's like it causes well, a. Well, for, for shoplifting, like I used to work
1: at Target. It's also like they're watching and they're building a case on them because most shoplifters are repeat, you know, repeat you know, right. the security, security, and all that. But like when you, when you go, I think I think a better is, is robbery. Like you know, if if you ever get robbed when working retail, you don't resist you, and you let them go because mm-hmm. it's it's a few hundred dollars, right? You know, it's, it's, it's a small <laughs> amount of money and it's insured like, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's just things.
0: But that also reminded me of the tragic story of the, um, Darth Plagueis, the U- wise, sorry, the <coughs> U- UPS driver. Uh, I don't, I don't know that story. I, I think it happened. I'm not sure if it happened last year or like the year before. So this UPS driver was driving and then some robbers like robbed the, the truck Mm -hmm. And they're driving away with the UPS driver inside. And then the cops shot everyone inside, killing the UPS driver as well. Oh, oh, I do. I do remember that. Yeah. And then like UPS thanked the cops for their job. And I was like, that is so tone deaf for you guys. Like, yeah, you think the cops were killing one of your employees? Like, what the hell? Yeah. So
1: Yeah, I do. I do
0: remember that. Protection of property, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let me talk a little bit more about the um the writer for the movie mm-hmm. so he was hired to like write the screenplay after he got in, they gotten the correct rights for the film and he, he censored the story around i don't know how to say his last name john the character who eventually became sonny yeah it's uh
1: it's it's uh it's it's i i i can pronounce it but i can't remember it <laughs> uh it's uh war I oh, oh, sorry. No, wait, sorry. That's that's the character's last name. Uh, yeah, w- watch to, or watch watch to wish
0: maybe. Uh, okay. Yeah. So he decided to like center around a story around him and the guy, the actual character. He was um, refused to see him while he was in prison because he was still in a financial dispute with Warner Brothers about how much money he wanted to get for the rights for the movie. Which which ended up being uh... like around forty seven thousand dollars. Uh, so the, pro- the project overwhelmed him, though, the, the writer. He could not quit it because he had spent his cash advance already. <laughs> so he reviewed his material and found the unfulfilled promises that Washowitz made as the common trait. And he viewed them as, like, the story of the bank and the failure of the robbery. So I guess that's kind of, like, what the whole re- reason was for, mm-hmm. like, how it started and why it ended in that way. And Al Pacino, he agreed and backed out of the film three times before he finally accepted the role. So he's like, okay, I'll do it. Nah, I don't want to do it. Okay, I'll do it. Nah, I don't want to do it. Okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Nah, I don't want to do it. Okay, I'll do it. So that was Al Pacino. And I was like, The people who were making this film must be very patient people because after the second backing out, you probably would have hired the next person. But I guess they really wanted him to do it. And he did do a really good job with this movie. And much of the cast that was in this movie consisted of actors that Pacino performed with in off-Broadway plays. Oh,
1: interesting. And then, I mean, him and Kazali were both in The Godfather had already happened by this point. Right, right. Which is, I'm, I'm just reading about his complaints about the accuracy, which he calls the movie about 30 percent accurate. One, one big thing being that he, he had already left his wife, and he didn't like his, 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 his first wife, and he didn't like the portrayal of her and the way the the movie blames her for him, him oh, yeah. cheating. But, but something interesting is, is, is he doesn't, he doesn't, or he, the movie doesn't like the movie insinuates that he sold out John Casali to the police. Yeah, which I don't. I mean, I, I. I don't feel like the movie says that. Like, like the, the, he definitely lies to him about. They're like, "Oh, we're gonna take care of him." I don't. I don't see. Any, I don't see him having actually taken any active part in. in he's, he's very uncomfortable. He says, "No, don't do that." He says, "I'm not gonna sell him out." He didn't do do anything. He just kind of did that one lie to to placate him or to not not rile him
0: up. Speaking of which, um, Sal, the character of Sal. I was very terrified. I was scared that he was going to do something. Yeah. Did like you, he was going to be
1: the same he, way. He, he had like Yeah. He was really, he was really building
0: up, you know, and there's, there's that moment when he
1: like early on calls him over. and He's like, about, about, about wasting. And you think he's going to be like, Oh, like check. And he's like, I can do it. I'm ready to do it. And you're <laughs> like, oh, Jesus! Like it's, it's a a turning point in the movie.
0: One point that I was really anxious about was when one of the hostages asked for a smoke and he says, D- are you a smoker? And she's like, no, but why not? And he says, um, smoking can kill you can give you cancer and she's like okay she she scoffs at it too and made me wonder like what what was the state of awareness of of the dangers of
1: cigarettes and probably not like she she, she scoffed it almost as if he was like oh vaccines will give you autism like like the, the her response to h- him saying that is almost like it's this weird fringe ridiculous statement
0: I think it was more in line with, like... More because of the
1: circumstances.
0: Because of the circumstances, like, you're you're committing robbery, and you, you're on the verge of, like, killing us, but you're worried about my, my health. Yeah, that's I, fair. I think that's what she was concerned about. Now with, like, the vaccines and autism. But, you, you see, you, I don't I do know what you mean. I do know what you mean. That that part when um, she scoffs at him and, like, kind of makes fun of him, I was, like, I was scared for her, you know? I was, like, oh, he, he, he has a gun, and you're making fun of his beliefs? Please. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think, especially like there there there's I think we we maybe both expected this to turn
1: into like a bit of a Tarantino affair at the end of the movie, <laughs> you know, and go and go that direction, uh, you know, or a Bonnie and Clyde, which D.D. D. Allen also cut Bonnie and Clyde, so that would have been a pro- really, I guess, yeah, I guess I guess uh, I don't think that's necessarily the type of movies that Sidney Lumet tells as much. I think I think that that's not something that's good. also also once again uh, reality. <laughs> <laughs> at, le- at least in broad strokes. Gotcha.
0: One final thing I found interesting was to capture Pacino's movements in, like, a natural fashion, Lume integrated the use of roller skates and wheelchairs for the cameramen. Okay, I thought,
1: the- for, I thought you meant for Al Pacino.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> he would, like, move them around as Pacino was, like, walking around uh, the whole bank. And nowadays, that would just be, like, a, what do they call it? Um, a dolly. Yeah, a dolly. Yeah, a said he can. But no, they used uh, wheelchairs and roller wheel skates back then for that. I'm sure dollies existed at the time. It's not a recent technology. I, w- I wonder if the reason
1: for that, if I had to speculate, it was to keep the movement more organic. Yeah. Because uh, a dolly track, you, you really have to plan you know you have to set the track you have to it's a lot it takes a long time to set the track and get it so it's perfectly even and smooth so you can get and you get that predetermined kind of movement and i wonder if if he really wanted to be able to do more of a which which would make it more like a steady cam rig of more of a, a f- dynamically following pacino and matching his movement and energy it's probably why he would have chosen to do to do something freeform like that over a, a dolly
0: well, LeMay also said he wanted to be like uh like it was shot by a TV cameraman
1: yeah yeah it it, it that's, uh, that's why it, it also makes it yeah the dolly is gonna be like so smooth and like star trekky right and 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 the wheel you know being on on a wheelchair or roller skate's it's gonna it's gonna keep it smooth and' gonna keep it from you know running and jostling, but you're gonna get more of that drift and float and that kind of energy. I think that makes a lot of sense,
0: definitely. And so, the legacy of this movie, upon its release on September 21st, 1975, it was a critical and box office success, and it was nominated for six Academy Awards and seven Golden Globe Awards, and won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. And in 2009, a Dog Day Afternoon was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress, and was selected for the preservation in the National Film Registry. I, I like I like hearing those like stories, like, it was selected for the National Film Registry, like, hey, look at that. Like with Shrek, you know. <laughs> hey, the first movie to win the Best Picture for animated film. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I'm really, I'm really happy for Shrek. You know, seeing it grow. Like, I've grown with it. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, the year it came out
1: was the year they introduced the Best Animated Film category, and it, it won. So, do you, do you wish you had seen this movie
0: sooner? I think I could have benefited from watching at least a couple years sooner. You know, at least like when I first started learning how to edit videos, I think I really would have benefited from watching this movie. So yeah, yeah, which is a rare a rare thing for me to say because with most of my episodes, if you listen to them, I always say I think it was the right time for me to watch it now. I think it was the right time mm-hmm. to watch it, but this one I definitely should have seen sooner. Yeah, how about you? I
1: mean, I I mean, I I don't have a strong like I, I don't find it. It's not a super impactful movie. So It's not something like oh I you know I okay. I am glad I have seen it. I don't think when I saw it is is hugely uh, significant. Yeah, I mean, I just it's I just keep thinking about if you if you haven't seen Jack and Jill. But there's the the the, the scene I have seen, and it's just watching that after watching Dog Day Afternoon. If if you haven't seen that clip, is just a while. And he references Dog Day Afternoon. He references all a bunch of his movies, in it, and it's just like it's an
0: experience. I'm sorry, as a, a tangent, but it's 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 something. <laughs> We reached the end of our discussion Noah. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Before we leave, I want to ask were the movies a hit or miss with you? Uh I mean
1: Dog Day Afternoon was definitely a hit. Uh and and with Nell and I, oh god, I have just such conflicting feelings about it. It's so it's so hard to say. Uh and, and it, it's I, I I can't say for certain on with Nell and I. Like, it's definitely going to stick with me.
0: Okay. That's fair. That's fair.
1: It hit in that regard of it it connected regardless of its... Uh, <laughs> A good connection or bad there, there is a connection i see uh, you know I, it, it'll it'll stick with me
0: i would say for me dog day afternoon was a definite hit for me and with no and i a huge miss for me
1: you, you know you know and I, I feel like honestly like like i enjoyed dog day afternoon i really liked it but like i probably will end up talking about with and i more because dog day Afternoon is like yes that is a very good movie that i saw it's a it's very esteemed but with no and i like there's
0: more to to say in both in both directions i forgot to mention the cop scene in with no and i get in the fucking van. <laughs> i feel like as soon as that line i've was like, i heard that line reference like like that that that
1: bit or that character has been referenced in some way because it felt very familiar
0: yeah that, it did or that did. that specific joke <laughs> felt very familiar to me it was very odd it, out of nowhere and I, the voice was very high it was like whoa i think that was the only part i laughed out loud I think that was the only part. Oh, man, but, but Richard E.
1: Grant, when when he's like, we can't leave, I I need to have my big breakfast, and they cut, and they're in the car, and he's got the full breakfast spread on his lap, and he and he's eating <laughs> it, and he's giving him driving directions, and only his side of the windshield has a windshield wiper. Yeah, it's all right. I went into that movie wanting to really love it, and wanting to come away with a, a great little artifact of cult British cinema that I could have, you know, taken away from it, and I'm just so disappointed that it, it, it's tarnished and and that it's it's not that yeah i get it
0: so can you tell us what you're working on as well
1: uh right now we're we're recording season two of danger town uh to the dungeons and dragons podcast see so season one is is all out and available on yada 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 platform 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 (laughs) uh and and we're, we're recording season two right now you know working on this 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 really interesting stop motion show uh for for stupid buddy studios that's i think coming out later this year uh, that's that's very exciting
0: so that's the episode folks thank you so much for listening and until next time cross off a new film from your list thank you for listening to the hit list podcast if you like this episode please consider giving us five stars and leaving a review it really does help you can also follow us on facebook at the hit list podcast and instagram at the underscore hit list underscore podcast